From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm Chronicle pop culture critic Peter Hartlob, and welcome to the second round of entertainment deals in the Bay Area. Our first episode, you can check it out in our archive, featured pop music critic Ideen Vaziri and theater critic Lily Janik. And at their specific request, I brought in classical music critic Joshua Cosman and art critic Charles Desmarais for the sequel. Two things I love that came out of this episode, Joshua and Charles break the stereotype that art on their beats is only accessible to the rich. In fact, Charles makes a good argument that visual art is the most affordable art form. And there's breaking news. Right after we scheduled the recording, Charles got the scoop on a change at the Fine Arts Museums that will make their exhibits much more accessible to all San Franciscans. We also talk about pinball, art galleries in the Dogpatch District, the free Morrison Artist Chamber Music Series at SF State, and something called Art at the Dump. We had a great time recording this. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to the Datebook Podcast. Welcome, Joshua Cosman and Charles Desmarais. Thanks. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. My, my, first, um, my first time with you, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. We're excited to have you down here. And, um, and breaking news. We have breaking news on the Datebook Podcast. Charles, you have a big scoop today. Well, it's a big scoop for people who love museums, and, and, um, and particularly if they don't have easy access to museums because they're financial... Um, circumstances don't allow them to easily enter into museums and that is that the two of the two of our largest institutions the de young museum and the legion of honor are going to be as of april the 6th going to be free to all san francisco residents which i think is incredible now that's not going to be for their temporary exhibitions but for all the permanent collection and the de young i i know puts on a whole big family day on Saturdays, and so that'll also be free, and so it's it's going to be a big change, I think, a sort of sea change, really, for those for those two institutions. So, Charles, what does that mean of, that they're restricting the deal to San Francisco residents? You have to flash a, an ID card and 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 show that you live in San Francisco, not in Berkeley or Alameda. Yeah, for now, they mm-hmm. they they hope to be able to roll it out, but this year they're going to make this is an experiment, I'm told. Um, but you will have to show your license or a postmarked envelope to show that you live in San Francisco, and that's what's going to get you in on a Saturday to see the permanent collection, which I think is just great. Yeah, I, I think it's great, too, and it's fantastic timing because we had scheduled this uh, Entertainment Deals podcast before the news broke. Exactly. So great synergy. Uh, is this a trend that you're seeing? I mean, what, what's the impetus for this? What, what's the reasoning for this? You know, I think um, all museums... Virtually all museums are are nonprofit organizations that want to serve a community, and they they but they also have to pay their bills, and so it's always a balance between how are we going to get people to who can afford to support it to support it, and how can we provide access to as many people as we possibly can. Um, the, I, to be honest, I think the trend was maybe ten years or so ago when a lot of museums were trying out being free at least for the permanent collection spaces. 
and um, and it looks as though that's finally coming west, which is just great. Yeah. And and these museums in particular, do you think these are good museums for this to happen? Museums that are, that it, it's going to benefit for a wider group of people to see what's in there. We have we have several great museums in this city, but among the the greatest museums are these two museums. They they are in fact um, a city agency. The Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco is the umbrella over these two institutions, and it is a city agency, but they have had to charge admission for some time. I'm going to have to do the research, but I I don't know when they started charging admission or if they've always done that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great scoop, Charles. Good job, man. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, so we're here talking about entertainment deals. We did the first version of this with Lily Janik and Ideen Vaziri. It went fantastic. And at the end of the podcast, they specifically, specifically requested that you two... Uh, <laughs> be here for the sequel. So we're going to talk a little bit about entertainment bargains on our beat. Um, I don't like the word bargains too much. I like deals and steals because I don't want to <laughs> sound like people are cheaping out or that they're getting something less than great art. You want it to mm-hmm. sound like they're stealing? Yeah. You said? <laughs> stealing. <laughs> we'll go with deals. Okay. We're, we'll Got settle it. on deals. Mm-hmm. But um, so I want to talk about that. But I wanted to first talk about like go, go back in the Wayback Machine for all of us and if if you guys have any memories of entertainment deals from your own lives when either you're in college or money's a little tight, I'm going to share mine. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, early 1990s, and I had no money. I mean, I remember um, going to a concert was out of the question, except as happens, the Mid-State Fair in Paso Robles would allow journalists, including student journalists, in for free and they had a whole series of free acts. Mm. So my music consumption for like two years was the free acts at the Mid-State Fair. Uh, saw Los Lobos. Wow. Uh, a little earlier in their career, too. So it was on the way up. I remember it, it was in the third row, and a couple of women in front of me got in a huge fight pulling hair. <laughs> and then the concert ended with us all dancing in front of Los Lobos. Uh, I, the Guess Who, a... 70s peaked rock band. Peter pointed at me when he said that. (laughs) (laughs) I just point out, I I point around randomly, Charles. And then finally, the big one was Johnny Cash and Family. Mm. Now, Uh remember, this is like early 90s before the American recordings kind of brought Johnny Cash back. And it was Johnny and June and their family doing a free act at the Mid State Fair. And he was bringing it. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a nostalgia thing. He didn't seem bummed to be there. Mm, the whole great. family, that's the only time I ever saw Johnny Cash, and I cherish the moment. <laughs> yeah, sure. There are probably 100 people there. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's mine from my that's history. Uh, I want to see if you guys had any. Well, well, I mean, the general principle I know from when I was in uh, college and graduate school is, you know, if you want to get something for, for, cheap or free, you get the people who are learning to do it. You know, I got my eyes examined for free at the at the uh, <laughs> UC Berkeley, you know, eye examining place, whatever it is. I, You know, you get your hair cut by people who are studying to be <laughs> hair cutters. And similarly, my first live opera, this was when I was a teenager in Philadelphia, was a student production of Marriage of Figaro at the Curtis Institute because I wasn't going to, you know, pay to, to see a professional company, not not on my uh, meager uh, allowance. But, um, 
you know, it was a fine way to to get my feet wet, and and that still holds true today. I know if you want to see opera done cheap and well, um, the San Francisco Conservatory is right around the corner from the San Francisco Opera, and um, those are the those are the stars of the future operating at at half price. Do you remember the details of this performance? Was I, it like three people <laughs> <laughs> juggling all the roles? Oh but... no no no! It was real. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. I honestly I can't remember. You know, it's not as though any any of those people ever made a career of it that I knew of. Yeah, um, uh, it was all very new to me. But, Did they have um, sets in the whole thing? Oh yeah. yeah oh right. sure. It was it was it was legit. It I feel bad. Wasn't... We're kind of insulting this. Oh no no no! Twenty it was, plus year old. It was yeah. 20 plus you're so kind <laughs> well it's one of the great was, music schools too I mean, so it really yeah, is so, so yeah. you know it was it was a perfect way to get to get my feet wet nice nice charles you got any well i certainly do remember standing room only and uh, you know at the opera and at the ballet um and those those were that was the only way that i could have gone to the opera when i was that young but one of the things that really struck me in your conversation with lily and and um who else was here? Aideen. Aideen, yes, of yeah. course, my goodness. Was how expensive everything else is but visual art. Visual art is a real deal yeah. because you can go to galleries, no galleries charge, and there's something like 200 or, or more um, galleries in town. So, they, so I've always had that kind of access. Museums ha- have become rather expensive, I would say, um, in recent years, to go twenty-five dollars for a ticket would take my breath away, even today. But I don't pay because because I'm the critic, so I, I I know how important that must be to people. But when I was a kid, it was a couple of dollars, and I don't think it was. Um, I don't ever remember the price keeping me from looking at mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and and I think about concerts. We talked about that. Even movies now, there's sort of this. Regular pricing and VIP pricing, where mm-hmm. you can pay two to three to four to five times as much to see the Rolling Stones or go to Bottle Rock with the VIP tickets. Is there an equivalent like that with visual art, or, or has that not come to visual art yet? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think as much as I think that the the real deal in the art world, in, in, in all the arts, is visual art because it's so inexpensive to participate in. The image that people have is that that's the most expensive of the arts, and I think that's because people think of the you know the absurd prices that some collectors will pay for works of art. But those are two totally different. So you're worlds. you're saying we can go to see visual arts, but not actually buy the paintings? You probably can't buy the paintings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, well, you certainly can't buy most of the paintings that you'll see in most. Of the, like, I don't know about you. I don't know your your bank account, but I certainly can't buy most of the paintings that I would see in a museum. Um, but I, I think that's the equivalent of like, I can go see the Rolling Stones, but I can't afford to have them play mm-hmm. my <laughs> daughter's party, right. bat mitzvah. Right. You know? I mean, right. so I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I don't think that's exclusionary. Yeah. And, and of course, um, membership, and I, I hope we can talk a little bit about membership in a, in a minute um, in museums, because I think it's a terrific deal for individuals and families. But there are very high levels of membership too, and if you're a ten thousand dollar donor, or a, or a, you know fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollar donor to a museum, you will get certainly very good treatment, and you'll be invited to really nice parties and all the rest of that. But you will have the same art experience as everybody else. Mm. Yeah. Well, I I think we should go in circles, and let's leave. Maybe we could leave membership for last because sure. I'm going to throw in something about that too. 
Plus, I'm going to throw in video games, Good. guys. We're going to get Good. like deep into pop uh, culture here, Brilliant. and because I did comedy last time, Joshua. So I've got a, a number of uh, possibilities here, but I have to say the very first thing that came to mind on this subject because it's I, I think one of the great unknown uh, bargain deal, sorry deals deals on Thank the you. classical <laughs> music beat in the Bay Area is at the San Francisco State University a, a chamber music series called the Morrison Artist Series. This is about six or seven uh, chamber concerts every year that are absolutely free and um, presented. This They bring in really the, the absolute top quality uh, chamber artists, uh, instrumental groups, vocal groups, pianists, and so forth. This is, and, and, and it's, it, this is free, not because it's it's sort of you know second tier artists. These are the kind of these are the same performers that you could pay fifty, sixty, seventy dollars elsewhere for. Um, May T. Morrison, who endowed this series, um, maybe fifty, sixty years ago. I don't know how long it's been, but I mean, there's a there's an endowment there that just pays for free chamber music. Uh, year after year and I've covered these events off and on over the past decades and I'm always surprised and slightly sad that people don't know about this because it's such a gem Mm -hmm. Um, so these aren't selling out every they're not and and they should be I mean selling out it's free it's free you got to have a ticket apparently but 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 it doesn't cost anything so um, you can find out about this on their website which is morrison.sfsu.edu the next performance is on February 10th on Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. with the choral group Nordic Voices um, a, a range of sort of Scandinavian music and various kinds of things. And then um, later in the season, they've got the Jack Quartet. Now, you know, the Jack Quartet is one of the great contemporary music string quartets. You hear them anywhere else, you will be paying, you know, standard ticket prices, 40 50 60 $70 to hear them. Hear them at San Francisco State for free. Good one. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, first of all, I think Thursday is like becoming the new Friday night. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed like a lot of a lot of theaters, they, they can't book a special screening of The Princess Bride on Friday night because they've got Black Panther showing there. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of Thursday night, good movies, good comedy, um, a little bit less expensive. But mine is, this is the ultimate date night, first date place which is the Pacific Pinball Museum in Alameda, mm-hmm. <laughs> where I live. Um, I'm a little bit of the Alameda Chamber of Commerce with this episode. But um, two for $20 on Tuesday and Thursday night. It is actually a museum. I mean, they have museum exhibits and uh, about the art of pinball and the history of pinball. Plus, they have 90 working games, 90-plus working games on their floor from the 1940s until um, to brand-new games. They cycle the games in and out, so this is not a guarantee, but Herb Kane's pinball machine <laughs> was donated to the Pacific Pinball Museum, and they have a little placard with history on it, uh-huh. so you can go and find which one is Herb Kane's. And I've heard uh, when I did a story with them that the three Jerry's played on it. I'm going to miss one of them, but it was Jerry Garcia, Jerry Brown, and... I don't know who the third one was, Jerry Rubin or Jerry, I don't know. But Jerry but anyway, Rice. Jerry Rice, it could have been a lot of different people. But Pacific Pinball Museum, um, I always have a good time going there. I brought my kids there at a young age. I brought my parents there. And so do you have to actually 
plug quarters in there? No. Or you, Two you... for $20, you get in, and everything's on free play, except, I think, the brand new machine. So if you want to play Iron Man 3 mm-hmm. pinball or Metallica pinball, you might have to pay for those, but I'm not even sure on that. Um, but Pacific Pinball Museum, great So you're deal. telling me there's a Herb Kane-themed pinball machine or a pinball machine that no, belonged he, to Herb Kane? He, he, he owned it, oh, okay. and one of his wives uh, donated it uh, after his passing to the Pacific Pinball Museum. Get this thing should, out of here. We need, yeah. a, we need a Herb Kane-themed pinball machine, right? I <laughs> Why mean, doesn't the Chronicle have the Herb Kane pinball machine? Like when you walk in, we have the typewriter. You can't touch it. <laughs> right, you know, right. You, like walk in that lobby on the third floor. Um, I'm not jealous, but, uh, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, Pacific Pinball Museum in Alameda on Webster Street. Great. Charles. Well, you know, it, um, as I mentioned, galleries are free to enter and, but there's, but you do have to sort of bounce around from gallery to gallery all over the city. So one of the great deals I think is when you go to Minnesota Street Project, which is in the Dogpatch area, where there are a good 10 or 12 galleries that are all together, all grouped together, one in, in a big indu- old industrial building and then in a couple of others just around the corner. Um, so that's a, that's a place where you can get to experience a range of different art selected by a range of different galleries that have different ideas. Um, the other thing that goes on there is that they do a lot of free art discussions and workshops and um, there's a, an, an art book book fair that that they do every summer so there's a range of things that go on there and it's it's almost like going to um to a museum except everything is free because um it's supported by the gallerists that are are of course trying to sell art but you're not there's nothing that would make you feel that you had to buy anything in fact um they really want to see you regardless so that's a particularly good deal and then there's a, a brand new place that tony bravo wrote about um and that in fact our um our architecture colleague John King just did a piece on called the St. Joseph's Art Society, which is on Howard Street at, I think, 10th, um, which is an old church, an old Roman Catholic church that has been restored with great attention to detail. King thinks it's just perfectly done. Um, and it's it's a pretty wild experience just to go in there because it's a mix of, you know, sort of decorator taste and serious art and a bar and a lounge and there's just a a range of things going on there that i found um not the highest art but the but one of the best fun experiences i've had in an art space in some time i I have a question for you about galleries and it's free free. um about galleries i feel sometimes when i go in a gallery and i'm kind of a newcomer to art and i'm dipping my toe in it feels to me like when I go to an open house for a house I can't afford, um, I feel self-conscious. Like, like, are they looking to see if I'm going to buy something? Do I not belong here because I can't afford these? What do most people who, who own these galleries, are? do you think they're cool with me coming in, knowing that there's short of a lottery or, or some other inheritance, there's very little chance that I'm going to buy one of these pieces? Well, they don't know that, of course. Yeah. And, and certainly we both know that... The wealthiest people often can dress um, the most idiosyncratically or, or just, you know, really dress down. But beyond that, I think that galleries that are open to the public know that they're going to have a lot of people that are coming just to learn, and they enjoy that. Now, if you go and they're talking with the prospective client, a real customer, and you try and interrupt them and, and you know, just want to chat, 
that may not go over very well. But most of the time, they're sitting there with you know a lot of work to do. But not but but one of their one of their jobs is to talk to people that come in, and they they, they want to talk with you about the art. One thing about galleries that's different from museums: museums there'll generally be lots of didactic stuff on the walls, and you you know so you can you can get your access to what this stuff means by reading. Most galleries don't have the staffs or and their shows are short, and so they they don't go to all that much trouble, and so they expect you to ask questions. And mm. if you um, if you can just get over your shyness once or twice, you'll realize that in fact. They they love talking about the art, and if you ask them a question, there's no stupid questions, and and they enjoy it. Cool, great. I'm going in next time. <laughs> yes, you should, and <laughs> and talk, yeah. ask. Um, so, aside from free stuff, I wanted to just plug a couple of of really good venues in San Francisco for cheap music that is plentiful and unpredictable and one is old first concerts at old first church on sacramento and van on van ness near sacramento that's been going for a lot of years and they put i mean this is a a venue where they just put out two concerts every week usually it's a friday night and a sunday afternoon a whole range of of uh chamber music new music contemporary music vocal music you never know kind of what you're going to get there, but uh, I, I always look at the at the schedule there and think, oh, there's a, there's something interesting and exciting going on, and it, I think they've raised their prices now from 15 to 17, um, but you know still very much uh, within a budget. And the other one is a, a newer organization in the Tenderloin called the Center for New Music, which again, two or three or four events every week. Um, curated by different uh, contemporary music aficionados, some composers, some performers. And it's it's just a kind of a smorgasbord of new music. Um, and it's also a resource center for, uh, for uh, composers and other new music types. Um, the tickets there are $15 uh, or 10 if you're a member. So you can just kind of come and go. It's a, it's a very little cozy place. There's seat, it seats maybe about... 40 people um so you're you know you're just inches away from whatever new music is going on and i've heard some really interesting and offbeat exciting things there and you never kind of know what's going to be nice yeah good one uh and from there we go to the um high scores arcade okay (laughs) Uh, also in alameda and hayward um 1980s arcade uh with games yeah games so 30 plus games per arcade they have a warehouse with a lot and they cycle them through so you go every couple of months there'll be some new games there um because of ancient arcade laws in san francisco and beyond this was all started by diane feinstein when everybody was worried that that frogger and asteroids were going to turn our kids into zombies (laughs) they put the same laws up with arcades that they do like with dispensaries and stuff that it can't be within a thousand really? feet of a grammar <laughs> school or something yeah, yeah and yeah. then the spread everywhere in the bay area like all the politicians these arcade games are hurting our children so they they all the counties and cities put up wow. these laws that you couldn't have arcades except in places like pier 39 you couldn't have new ones so all those laws were still on the books so the way they get around this is they call their arcade um, place, an arcade museum. Oh. All the games are on free play, which is great. So they're not quarters. Um, 
and the high scores arcade there's a few different brew pubs and places that have arcade games but these two people sean and meg livernosh are are like students of arcades they're historians i've quoted them in stories about the history of certain games um they actually do make their own cabinets they'll take an old game like oregon trail and um, or an old like Nintendo game and make an arcade game cabinet working with an artist to build the cabinet. So they do a lot of cool stuff like that. And it's six dollars for an hour or twelve dollars for the day. So I love it. Both of these um, arcades are located um, in really cool places in Hayward and Alameda with a theater nearby and lots of good places to eat. So you can go for an hour, get a nice dinner, second best first date. Uh-huh. Uh, experience and uh, high scores arcades. So if somebody right. dates you, they have to go to arcades, though. Huh? The first and second yes. date are both I, arcades. And you can, that's why it took me a while to get married. And, uh, thank you, Kelly, if you're listening to this, for indulging my arcade. Do you interest. bring your boys to these places? I do, but honestly, um, you don't the, want to share. The pinball, my younger one, likes it. My my boys both enjoy high scores arcade not as much as me so usually it's like i'll take them once in a while but i'm going every week or two i get on my bike and head over and and get the full like it's a it's a nostalgia hit more than for for you yeah yeah and i mean it it a lot of these games sometimes they'll bring a new game in that i haven't thought about in 30 years Mm -hmm. and suddenly it's there and i played it and it's this whole nostalgic experience washing over me uh Jungle King or Track and Field. These, these. God. I mean, Jungle King. There was like five of them, not five. There were hundreds of them made. I'm sure, uh-huh. or maybe a thousand. It wasn't a game that was really easy to find. And then now, after all these years, there aren't that many that are out in the wild. Right. So, uh, Smash TV is a is the guy who made Robotron, which is a famous game, made the sequel Smash TV that totally bombed. So they only made a limited number of them, and they have a working one. Uh huh. Um, they have a, uh, a, a cabinet, uh, uh, what do you call it? cockpit version of Star Wars, where you actually get in this little cockpit and play. Wow. So a lot of stuff like that. And they have a jukebox, and they only put uh, music up through the 80s on the jukebox. So <laughs> full experience, high scores arcade. Charles. I'm so old, Peter, that I remember playing Pong when it was when it was the cool thing to do at the bar at, at you know at <laughs> so down, do the, down do, the road do from too, college it's four but <laughs> <laughs> um well one thing that you can get for free in addition to art is wine at at um at some at some galleries which i think is worth just mentioning briefly it used to be that to get on a, a, a gallery's mailing list was a little bit clumsy because it cost them money to print these these invitations and the postage and da da da. Now, of course, with electronic invitations, digital invitations, they don't care, and so they put everybody on the list. and And if you watch when the openings are, those are often fun parties that um, that in fact might even include a free glass of wine or two, which is kind of interesting. And then I think um, I think everybody should go to see art at the dump at least once. Oh yeah. Um, so there's something called the recology recology. Artists in Residence program, and we know what recology is. It's the you know it's the um, trash elimination group, of, you know the trash management um, company that takes care of our needs. And at at the dump, they invite artists every four months. They have a new group of 
two to four artists that come in and they do these residencies. They get a studio, they get a stipend, and they get to take anything out of the trash that's coming through and make art out of it. And then there's just for two days when they're done with all that, for two days there's an exhibition and free wine, um, <laughs> as I remember it. And um, and you see what what artists made out of this. And some of the best artists in San Francisco, some of the best young artists in San Francisco have done this this um, residency, and it's really a fun thing to, to see. And I'll just add that that happens not only on your beat, but on my beat, oh, because really? um, at least once, maybe more, there's been, they've had composers come in. There's a San Francisco composer named Nathaniel Stuckey, who has had a residency at the dump, at the Recology Dump, uh-huh. and created a, a wonderful piece. Uh, I'm trying to remember if the name of the piece or the name of the ensemble or both is the Junkestra. It's the <laughs> Junk Orchestra, mm-hmm. and he, he kind of got all of these percussion instruments made that he made out of junk that he mm-hmm, found mm-hmm. in the in the garbage peeps and created this wonderful percussion piece about it that uh, is a lot of fun to hear. It gets performed every now and then. Oh, that's great. Okay, I have questions. Um, <laughs> is it, do they call it Art at the Dump? So so they embrace the word dump yes, at they Recology? Do. They do. That's they, cool. Well, they... They don't. That's not the formal title, but they do embrace the word, and they'll they'll say, you know, it's the Recology Artists and Program Artists and Residence Program. Come see art at the dump. Yes, yeah. they do. And I'm envisioning like like Burning Man installations here. Are these pretty big pieces of art, or do they range? They range. They certainly range. But your studio is is a limitation. Um, but but some people do build out into out in the sort of um, yard outside their studios. But I would say. I would say it's not a Burning Man um, orientation, really. Okay. That's awesome. I Next date book um, retreat should be at Art at the Dump or <laughs> yes, Music at the Dump. I think we should do that. Actually, oh, the day we recorded this a few days ago, <laughs> <laughs> um, there was an opening, in fact. So uh, Friday and Saturday of this weekend. All right. Well, we're going to do, I'm going to, you guys are going to do one more each. So if you have a long list, either include Mm -hmm. that list quickly or we'll have a sequel. Okay. Um, And then we can close with memberships, but um, start with you. I I don't want to stop without bringing in some of the big guns, which is to say the San Francisco Symphony and the San Francisco Opera, because of course everybody has the assumption that this is high-priced entertainment and out of everybody's league who isn't rich, and it is high-priced at the top, but that doesn't mean that there aren't options for he- uh, hearing great uh, orchestral and operatic music. Um, at the symphony, one of the things I want to plug is the seats that are in the uh, second row of the balcony, center terrace, rather, behind the stage. Um, and as a graduate student at Cal, when I first showed up there, that was one of the first things I did, was I got a ticket sitting behind the orchestra, so you get to see, you're, you're right up close with the orchestra members, you're facing the the conductor, which is a very mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. unusual perspective on how the or, the conductor operates with the orchestra. Those are very cheap seats, and the, and the sound is excellent. Does it feel a little bit like you're actually... Like it would sound like if you were actually sitting in the orchestra. It does. It's because wow, you're very close yeah. to the orchestra and you're just sort of behind the the timpani and that, the, and wow. the basses. Um, the both the opera and the symphony have uh, standing room tickets. I'm sorry, symphony doesn't. The opera does has standing room tickets that are uh, ten bucks in cash available on the 
on the day of the performance. There's rush tickets available that can be as low as 25 or 30 bucks for both of those organizations. And so that's a very good way of, of uh, getting to see those, those kinds of uh, performances without breaking your wallet. Nice. Um, well, something I think is really quite interesting is that the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archive, which is a UC Berkeley um, outlet on, on Center Street in Berkeley, um, gives free admission to each adult who, who has a child with them under 13. So it's one adult per child under 13 gets in free, which I think is a great That's idea. Great. Um, and even the most expensive museums, like SF MoMA, which can, I think is probably 25 bucks to get in. I wish I, I should have listed the prices, but I didn't. Um, children, young people, not children, young people under 18 go free. So hmm. that's a very important um, thing to include in, in the idea of what's free. I like that. I have children under 18, and, uh, <laughs> and I, they need to get to more museums. So. Well, and, and you see, I mean, probably kids that live, you know, not too far away, not as far away as your kids do, that go there on their own, too. I mean, yeah. if you're 16 years old, you might very well go to the museum instead of hanging out on the corner, which would be a nice thing. Nice. Well, I'd like to close with memberships, um, just a little plug for memberships. And uh, uh, I'd like to start by saying, you know, with my kids, we're members of the Oakland Zoo, Exploratorium, uh, Lawrence Hall of Science. And in some cases, Oakland Zoo, we don't go but once a year. But I went so much before and liked the way that they run their business, Mm -hmm. um, very much in the model of... Um, expanding exhibits, not trying to cram a bunch of animals into tighter spaces. And um, it was just such a great deal when my kids were younger. I'm going to continue to support them. And I think of it kind of like I hope people think of newspaper subscriptions um, or a digital subscription of the Chronicle. I always get a plug in. Sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Well done. But uh, you're not just paying for something where you're getting something back immediately, but you're supporting something that you like and that you believe in. And um, I think we're going to continue to give those three organizations money, you know, once my kids leave the That's nest. That's great, yeah. The membership model doesn't really happen too much on my beat in that same way as it does with museums or zoos or the Exploratorium, which I agree with you is a wonderful way of support. The, the closest analog is, is sort of the subscription um, and that's that's you know what gives those performing arts organizations the kind of reliable uh, membership model, as it were. And that's a problem for many people, especially now, because unlike with the with the museum, you're committing to a you're not saying like I'll I'll go when I feel like it. You're mm-hmm. saying I'll go on every Wednesday or every Thursday. And and um, so increasingly, those are a little bit harder sell to, to folks. Um, one of the ways peop- the organizations have responded to that stress is to increasingly get people to, you know, um, give people more options about what, what it is that they want to buy. So you can ma- make your own subscription series or make your own membership package. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a harder sell but it's still a, it's still a great value and it's still as you say a way to make sure that you're supporting these organizations um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of um, the whole membership model because as Josh mentioned for one thing it gives it gives an institution an idea that in fact we have a community of people who want to support us and on some ongoing way um, and I think that's really important those who you know I, I think when we talk about the deals, 
who doesn't love a deal? And also, there are many people that you know that really can't afford the high prices of some of the of some of the activities that we that we might be able to enjoy. Um, but we, those of us who can, we do have a responsibility. It would seem to me to support these fabulous organizations, and this is a way to say, "I'm signing up for you. You can count on me at least for a hundred bucks a year, right, or hundred and fifty dollars right. a year." Frankly, they know then that they they can turn to you, and maybe you can you'll help them out even more later on because you because you're loyal. But it's yeah. it's a it's an important way I think to support our institutions. Yeah. Well, thank you both. Uh, thank enter- you. Entertainment <laughs> deals. Uh, we we've settled on the name, and uh, I think given our deals our, deals. our 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 subscribers a lot of uh, good tips, and I just really appreciate having you both down here. I, I enjoy. Um, what you do and classical music and art was not traditionally in my wheelhouse but I say this over and over on Twitter and anyone who will listen that you two and Lily um, very much have opened my eyes and made me go out and 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 experience some things that I wasn't experiencing before and I think it's the way you approach your beats well, so, thanks. I appreciate uh, and I certainly I think we all learn from you too it's it's a exactly. it's a great place to be yeah which is why people should Subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> we will close on that. Subscribe. Is that too blunt? <laughs> no, it's never too blunt. Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. Thank you. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Joshua Cosman and Charles Desmarais. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Music is Mozart's Symphony 40 in G minor by Blue Dot Sessions. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.